0: Alright ladies and gentlemen, it's 23 degrees, I have closed my door, I have even closed my window, because everyone loves to be loud! And I guarantee you it's going to be hot by the time I end this podcast, so let's get through it. In the words of Puppet Gaming's Chuck D, bring the noise. On the 5th End Podcast Network I am Charlie Taylor And this is What's Good Welcome back ladies and gentlemen Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances Ah New normal way. Eh? Is this what the new is? No? Not, not quite yet, not quite yet We're, we're, we're getting there though, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that briefly In, in a sec, but uh, yeah You know, I hope you've all had a good week so, um, It's been pretty solid for me actually Like pretty chill uh, For the first time in a while I've had some free time, uh, given to myself in a way, um, I finished some work last week and I'm, I was, uh, I was proud of finishing that, so, uh, I thought I'd, you know, obviously do the podcast stuff, continue, and, uh, you know, just, um, there's a little, um, it's a li- little secret to you guys, um, podcast four, or well, podcast five, podcast number five, original number four, is in the works. And, um, yeah, I've, I've just been spending the past couple of days just chillin', big chillin'. That's why I like to call it big chillin'. You know, you, you can chill, you can keep chill, but it's nothing like a day of big chillin'. It's, it's great, it's great. You know what I'm talking about when, you, when, uh, when you've when when you had that kind of day of big chillin'. Um, but yeah, man, it's, uh, it's been pretty good, can't complain, so, uh, but I've kind of, um, I've kind of set myself up uh, for this episode because um, I'm going to be talking about some topics that I I don't feel comfortable with, and I guess that should be the point, right? Um, these are a couple of them, uh, not all of them, but um, a couple two of them in particular are very I don't know um, I just don't feel up to not, not up to speed, but I don't feel like making a solid uh, ugh, see what I mean, I'm, I'm just I'm just rambling right now. I don't know what how to how, why I feel awkward about them, but I I'm I'm gonna feel awkward about them, uh, and you understand why. Hopefully, I'll make that clear. Uh, but yeah, past that, we have got uh, two others as well. We've got uh, well, we have live music, two music technically, and a sports topic as well. And uh, the music one, of the music ones, uh, it's very it's very soft. So I'll finish off with that, and um, just to, you know uh, keep it. Uh, keep keep the episode light because uh, two of these are pretty pretty can be pretty pretty dark, especially uh, one of them. And uh, yeah, so without further ado, four before we begin, email, Twitter, IG, Facebook as well, Discord link, all that, all that, all that in the full show notes. Give that a click click as you listen. Thanks for listening. All of that appreciate you your support and everything. <sighs> without further ado, let the beat drop. getting hot already. (laughs) Let's get into the show. In a week where civil rights heroes congressman John Lewis and C.T. Vivian die age uh, 80 and 95 respectively, uh, Boris Johnson is aroused by fox hunting. No, no, no context to that. Just look out for yourselves if you want to know. I just wanted to put that out there. Uh, UK government is suspending the Hong Kong extradition treaty, um, which, according to China, means that we're starting a Cold War with them. Because why not? I've said it before, I'll say it again. China is literally that 15-year-old girl that just takes everything seriously. And obviously, politics is should be taken seriously because we've seen we we have seen in the past couple of years when people don't take politics seriously. I mean, I saw a video the other day, right, of like um, that debate on ITV a couple of you know during the last general election, where like Corbyn literally had papers redacted, but still papers of um the of the Tories uh, plan to sell the NHS, right? And then I remember I remember specifically. Like a day or two later, there was a either Dispatches or Panorama um, episode. I forget which. And uh, it was basically about just more in-depth look about how the uh, the Tories are planning to sell the NHS to America, right? And you lot still, still couldn't see past any other bollocks. And don't give me anti-Semitism, right? Don't give me that. Because you lot don't... You lot don't look at racism in general, all right? So don't act like you you made the decision to vote Tory because of a, because they had anti-Semitism. Tories have been racist for um, I don't know. <laughs> give, give me give me a year. You're probably correct, right? <laughs> it's it, hello. So you know you can call it best uh, the choosing the um, uh, what's it the lesser of two evils. Sure, that's basically politics in a nutshell. Let's be real, but. It's just so fascinating to me how you lot just make decisions on this shit major decisions when you have that one decision to make and you lot just you you lot didn't want to go for it because I don't like the vibe of Jeremy I don't like his vibe like what the fuck are you talking about anyway So yeah apparently China's going to um uh, obviously come with measures we'll see how that goes Oxford coronavirus vaccine passes initial tests we'll see how that goes um, I, was, I, was, I was i was i'm i'm very like pessimistic about all this because i don't like the fact that you if even if we get a vaccine right in by the end of the year right for example right even if we do i feel like you guys haven't learned a shit and like anything you, you you guys haven't learned shit all. Uh, if, if we get that vaccine, it's just going to its like a cop out. It's like a—it's like a get our gel free card. Like you guys ain't learning yet. So I don't feel like you know just—and obviously there are many there. Are, you know, there's many more details to this opinion, but putting it bluntly, I don't feel like we deserve a vaccine. Just you know, in general. But um, obviously that's not how the world works. Uh, but yeah, man. Initial test. We'll see how that goes. And uh, the main contract. Oh, another another point. Um, I just I just totally forgot about the people that might not even want the vaccine because they don't trust vaccines. I, I, I totally forgot about that those kind of people as well. So we're all fucked. Uh, the main contractor on the Grenfell tower refurbishment secretly pocketed 126,000 pounds while switching the cladding to cheaper, more combustible materials. Why are people not in jail yet? Like, like we have it. This, this, is, this is it. Like that's, that's, that's a ge- that's jail, bull French, right there. Find the money trail, put them in jail. Simple. I, don't, I don't know why it's taken so long. We know why it's taken so long, but you know. But anyway, let's let's start with one of the hardest topics of uh, today of this episode. Um. So, <sighs> right. So where to begin? Um. So, black people in. I will I will say America just for now um, because I'm not really sure. But, well, you know what? There, there probably are some people in uh, black people in the UK that have these same uh, thoughts. But I'll just stick it to the America right now just for uh, the, the the case study we're talking about right now. So um, in the past few weeks, uh, you know, people like um, uh, Nick Cannon. Uh, Diddy in a way in terms of supporting Nick Cannon and other people supporting Nick Cannon Uh, obviously you know people of note like you know Louis Farrakhan, Ice Cube even you know their opinions on um, on the Jewish faith and Jews as an identity hasn't really changed in the past uh, you know well for Cube since since Death Certificate and um, (laughs) for Farrakhan probably even much further than that but uh, and there's other people as well. There's going to be, I think there's going to be mention of uh, the American football player, Deshaun Jackson, Stephen Jackson, and basketball, former basketball player Stephen Jackson as well. Um, so if you want to go look those people up as well, um, you can if you want. Uh, but yeah, there's many, there's been a few um, cases of um, anti-Semitism in um, black American circles these days. And uh, it's a conversation that I i don't feel equipped to have personally. Simply because my education on on the Jewish faith and Jewish identity even more so, um, I don't really, I don't really get it. Um, and hopefully, this article I've bought. Um, this is called uh, "I'm a Jew of Color." I won't be quiet about anti-Semitism by Soraya Ryan McDonald of the Undefeated. Um, and I just, you know, I thought that would be a perfect place to begin. Um, just because it's not just someone who is Jewish, but someone who is also black as well. And I feel like those are obviously the two, um, uh, what do you want to call them? Um, Those are the two uh, sections here. And uh, I feel like someone in both circles can uh, bring light to something and give a good opinion on everything. Um, But for me personally, I'm not anti-Semitic, right? I don't. I don't really have any strong feelings towards that kind of thing. I don't really have strong feelings towards any any religion. To be honest, I don't. I mean, religion as a whole, I find a bit eh. But you know, people find their purpose through that kind of stuff, and you know, I'm all for fu- people finding their purpose in things. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm not really against Jewish people um, or even Jewish identity, whatever that entails. Um, um, I'm, well, I'd like to damn damn well say uh, fuck Israel, uh, but apart from that, I don't really have an opinion, a strong opinion on anything else. Uh, but apart from Israel Palestine, but you know that's 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 one that's one pebble drop basically in the whole conversation of anti-Semitism. But uh, anyway, with my um, with my preface, personal preface uh, put forward, I'd like to get into this article and see where see where we're at with this because I'm. Um, uh, it's been an interesting conversation watching, especially African Americans talk about them uh, talk about this um, in different in different ways. Um, Kareem Abdul Jabbar did an article on it recently; that was very good. Um, and uh, Ice Cube responded uh, to him, well, to to the article on Jamel. He was unbothered as well, and that was kind of interesting as well. So um, there's a dialogue happening, and uh, it's it's very fascinating. But let's get into this article right quick. <laughs> I still remember the look of discomfort my friend Daniel Scruggs shot me as our professor went on an extended rant in an undergraduate journalism class at Howard University. He started by bitterly complaining about what a white editor who'd insisted on characterizing Louis Farrakhan as anti-Semitic in a story about prof- a story the professor had written. Uh, he was allegedly informing us uh, black would-be journalists of the importance of protecting our work from white editors who would, who would sully it with cultural ignorance but he soon spiraled into a larger rant about, quote-unquote, the Jews, uh, assuming he was speaking to an audience who shared his opinions. Silently, Scruggs caught my gaze and grimaced, I'm sorry, she mouthed silently. I grimaced too. Neither of us really knew what to do or say in the moment, but we knew he was in the wrong. Quote, I remember really being take, uh, feeling really taken aback because there's a, a black and Jewish person right in front of you, unquote. Scruggs said, when I called it this week, I should have said something instead of looking around in horror. Even if you're a part of uh, a marginalized class, you can still have prejudices that can be really harmful, and that's something we should keep in mind. "Unquote." I have written and spoken at length about the love and pride I have for my alma, alma mater. I, I, I don't know. How, I know Americans say it, but I don't know how we say it, like British, like alma mater, alma mater. Anyway, um, we uh, we are legion. We are just not sorry. Not sorry. Uh, But this week, I have been disappointed, to say the least, in two of its most uh, high-profile sons, Nick Cannon and Sean Diddy Combs, when I saw anti-Semitic comments from Cannon and then Diddy's tweets of solidarity after Viacom CBS fired Cannon for making them. I felt a similar pang of betrayal, disappointment and anger, the same pang I'd felt two years ago when Alice Walker, a personal hero of mine, praised an anti-Semitic author as quote-unquote brave in the New York Times." I have an unconventional feeling, uh, un- unconventional relationship with my Jewish heritage, in part because I grew up in the heart of the Bible Belt. Unlike almost everyone else I knew in my hometown, it was the rigor upon meeting someone for the first time to ask if they were, quote unquote, saved. My immediate family did not participate in organized religion. My paternal grandfather was both a preacher and a serial <coughs> abuser, which contributed to my black father's distaste for the church. My uh, Jewish mother, Lillian Olivera MacDonald, was born in Suriname and grew up in Amsterdam, where daily life was far more secular than it was in the American South. I grew up without going to Hebrew school, or shul, but still surrounded by totems of Jewish culture. We had a menorah that my mother picked up from Amsterdam Antique Shop. When I took it to elementary school for show and tell, I still remember the puzzled look my teacher gave me until she saw my mother who came to take the menorah home instead of letting it sit in my locker for the rest of the day. We had multiple copies of The Diary of Anne Frank in English, in Dutch, and an annotated version with bits that were left out of the first edition, plus a copy of Anne Frank Remembered, the story of the woman who helped to hire the Frank family by Miep G's. G's? G- G's? Uh, Gies. Uh, my parents' library was filled with the works of Jewish writers and thinkers and tomes about... Jewish history, such as William L. Shira's enormous text, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. My mother supplemented my public school education with arts and books uh, by and about black Americans, and she did the same with Jewish culture. One of the earliest trips I can remember remember taking out of North Carolina that's a weird way of wording that sentence. Uh, of North Carolina was at age nine when my parents and I visited the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington. I quickly became a weird little Holocaust expert, connecting the stories of people such as Frank and Ellie Wiesel and Ephraim Schenkler, who wrote a memoir based on, of his experiences as a small child living in the Polish ghetto. With the story of Zlata Filipovic, who wrote the best-selling Bosnian war memoir, Zlata's sto- uh, Diary. I never forgot that the Gentile woman who hid Shankler was also violently anti-Semitic. She locked him in a cupboard that was too small to accommodate him, his growth was stunted and his feet grew deformed. When he was finally freed, Shankler had to relearn how to walk. Later, when I became interested in learning more about gender, sexuality and politics, my feminism was informed not just by works of Walker, Maya Angelou, Angela Davis and Paula Giddings, but by women such as Bella Abzug, uh, Wendy Wasserstein, Eve Ensler and Susan Faludi. Um, I'm just as just as a side note. I'm kind of proud. Proud I'm getting these names off uh, off off by heart. Uh, not everyone around me was learning uh, the same history. When my classmates learned of my Jewish background, they told me, "Quote unquote, the Jews murdered Jesus." Uh, I didn't have enough of a religious education to know how to respond, so I just shut up. When, as a child, a friend of my grandmother's uh, made an offhand remark about having to Jew someone down in the course of making a deal, I kept mum. And when my black journalism professor Howard ranted in anger, I shrank into my seat and kept quiet then too. I struggle with my connection to Judaism. Entering Jewish spaces often, often means entering white spaces and being subjected to anti-blackness and questions about whether I truly belong an experience as common among Jews of colour. I don't live far from an ultra-Orthodox Jewish neighbourhood in New York City, and when I see Hasidim Hasidim on the street, uh, there is a feeling of recognition, but also rejection, of knowing that to uh, to many, I don't count or I'm not Jewish enough. Uh, Jews of colour often face a burden of pu- uh, to publicly prove their Jewishness, while white counterparts can take that part of themselves for granted. I still remember how I felt in 2011 when I saw a photograph of culinary historian Janet Amato. Uh, it was the first time I'd seen someone Jewish in mass media who looked like she could be a member of my mother's family, and I gasped. The images and culture I'd grown up consuming had been about, bloody hell these names, Ashkenazi, Eastern European Jews, and was descended. I was descended from... <laughs> Sephardic people who were more common in Southern Europe or Arab countries, but I didn't have much of an understanding of what that meant, aside from the fact that my mother's surname, Oliveira, pointed uh, to a diaspora of Portuguese and Spanish Jews who spread out during the 15th and 17th centuries, uh, seeking refuge from the Spanish Inquisition. I had a similar feeling of revelation when I met Lauren Bain Anderson, the editor of Howard's Student Newspaper. She was the first person I'd met who was also black and Jewish. I had a massive crush on Lenny Kravitz, but this was different. She was real, not a celebrity. We could kvetch and kvell together. I'm sorry if I'm butchering these names and these terms. (laughs) When I bought a boyfriend home for the first time a couple, uh, couple of years later, for the first time a couple of years later, also a house student, I made him sit on my parents' couch with me and watch Fiddler on the Roof. Works such as Anna DeVere Smith's Fire, Fires in the Mirror, recently revived, my, uh, revived by Signature Theatre in, in New York, and James Baldwin's Negroes and anti-Semitic because they're anti-white, offer bridges to explain the specificity of the uh, black anti-Semitism, uh, which in New York is often bound up in battles of real estate and lack of shared understanding. But there is always more to learn. The Netherlands was one of the places where Spanish and Portuguese Jews went when fleeing religious persecution, which is how the Portuguese synagogue of Amsterdam came to be uh, built in 1675. Quote, they went to France, to Italy, and some went to fur, uh, further, excuse me, further north to Belgium and particularly Amsterdam, because it was a port city, a centre of trade. My mother, mother explained. So Amsterdam has this very specific history in that regard. It was kind of liberal with regard to Jews. If you want to settle there, fine, just don't be too obvious with whatever it is you do. Just keep quiet and you are able to do things uh, that in a lot of other places you just couldn't do," unquote. After the November 2016 presidential election, uh, one of the first places I visited was the Holocaust Memorial Museum and plenty of others had the same idea. It was so packed, visitors had to wait, stretch, and crane their necks to read the text accompanying many of the exhibits. Everyone was anxious about what the new administration would mean for minorities. I remember my mother pointing to the vandalism of Jewish cemeteries in Missouri and Philadelphia. She didn't need to reread Hannah Arendt. Uh, She had grown up in post-war Amsterdam, where no one forgot what the Nazis had done. In the winter of 1944, People were reduced to eating tulip bulbs as they tried to outlast the German occupation, and many starved to death. My mother shared stories of driving around Amsterdam years later with a friend. The friend showed my mother where her family hid during the war, right across the street from a Gestapo outpost. People in Amsterdam were still wary of German accents in the 50s and 60s, my mother said, recounting stories of Dutch people confronting German tourists on public transportation with rejoinders such as Quote, back so soon, and I want my bicycle back. The Nazis took everything during the occupation, even rubber from from bicycle tyres. The first car I bought with my own money was a Volkswagen Passat, and when I drove it home for the first time, my mother called it a Nazi Cadillac. Jesus. (laughs) My mother learned to be wary of the German public officials of a certain age, those who likely served in the Nazi government and escaped post-war prosecution. For a time, my family lived in a small country village in Germany, where my father, who served in the Air Force, was invited to bring his family to meet uh, with him to meet the mayor of Bitburg, Germany, uh, during, the Ronald, during President Ronald Reagan's visit to the country in 1985. My mother refused to go. The official was a member of the Christian Democratic Union, a conservative German party that was home to many ex-Nazis. When my father asked how he should explain her absence, my mother responded, "Tell him I'm a Jew from Amsterdam." <laughs> there are many, uh, there are all these things about growing up in a particular time, space, and that particular era that become part of your consciousness and part of your worldview. Mum said, "In the wake of the terrorism of Charlottesville, Virginia, and the attack on Pittsburgh's Tree of Life Synagogue, I began to seek out other Jews of color, especially Shanda, uh, Chan- uh, Prescott Weinstein." Who is vocal about Judaism and race online? It has been frightening and disheartening to witness a blooming of violent white white supremacist anti Semitism. This week, in the wake of Canna's statements and subsequent firing and Diddy's rush to embrace him, my stomach turned anew when I saw messages like this one on social media. There's a link to it. Uh, It was generally chilling, and this time the anti Semitism was coming from people who looked like me, people who attended the same historically black university as me and revelled in the school as a place of black pride and intellectualism, just like me. But unlike in that long-ago journalism class, now is not the time to, for me to shrink back to remain quiet. Quote, Surviving something obliges you to carry on the knowledge, my mother told me when I was fa- when I FaceTimed her uh, this week. I remember someone saying, never think it won't be so bad. We thought that in 1936, and it was late in the game. Unquote. <laughs> So yeah, that's the entire, uh, entirety of the article. Um, it's uh this this whole thing about like um, even how they uh, how people how uh, black people that try to explain um, what they mean about these kind of things um, is I think that's where shit gets left in the conversation because like I will talk about in the next segment um sometimes the platform you use is not is not the best it, it's it's not it leaves it open to interpretation um but even with that said um having these conversations and especially the this one is um very fascinating. Um, I guess in some way to try and you know English eyes this uh, this conversation. I guess you can say it's similar to how or or if um, I hated um, uh, if if I had if I was like um, anti um, I don't know um, anti uh, South Asian right and i guess in in in, uh, in religious terms i guess anti like muslim or anti hindu or whatever right even though you know uh, the histories of south asian people linked to the uk is extremely similar to the histories of black people that are linked to the uk you know for every uh, East India Company. Um, there is a, uh, a, a Kenyan famine, right? They're, for 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 every one of this, there's a, there's another of that, and um, it it for me, you know, in terms of atrocities, you know, it goes hand in hand. They they all happened by the exact same people, and um, I guess talking about talking going back to Judaism I think is seen um, in this conversation specifically um, is seen more as an identity and I think that's where wires get crossed. Because if you're saying, because um, there's a conversation, there's a there's an interview I saw with Ice Cube when he dropped Death Certificate and um, there was like a, f- a phone-in that like a, a talk show he was on, right? And it was like, you know, there was, it was like a talk show slash phone-in, right? And, you know, people asking him questions about the anti-Semitism in, well, the quote unquote anti-Semitism in his lyrics, right? And, uh, you know, and stuff pertaining to, you know, Jerry Heller, who at the time was the NWA uh, NWA's uh, manager, obviously with EZE and um, is mainly the reason why Ice Cube left NWA. For those that don't know, be- partly because of Jerry Heller, and you know Ice Cube um, blames Jerry Heller for the reason for that. The you know the fact that he didn't get his money at the time. Um, but there were you know significant backlash when on No Vaseline he says uh, these lyrics are just uh, loaded up here. Um, uh, it's a case of divide and conquer, uh, cause you let a Jew break up my crew. So, you know, you, you could, you know, this ain't gonna be a nice cube episode, but you know, you could take, you could take that with what you will. Um, and, and then the connotations of that, um, are annotations of that, and you can, um, there was a, uh, a rabbi of Los Angeles, um, uh, th- rabbi Abraham Cooper says, uh, we're not asking Ice Cube to mask the reality of the streets. By all means, flag the social problems, but don't exploit them by turning it into a professional spat between a former manager and an artist into a racial dispute. Cube responded with this: "It's wrong for the rabbis to call me anti-Semitic. I respect Jewish people because they're unified. I wish Black people were as unified." So, you know, not getting into all that, and you know, just all because yeah, <laughs> we we have a, other segments to get to. But um, it's it's so. It's so complicated. I like, it is so complicated. It shouldn't be, but for some reason it is. Um, you know, and I don't think personally there is reasons for a black person to be anti Semitic, right? Because like I said, for me personally, um and this isn't for every this isn't to the other people like the Nick, Nick Canons and stuff like that. Um, I don't really see religion as anything like that, or even um, as an identity. I don't know what I don't know what a Jewish identity means. You know what I mean? I, I don't really know what that entails. So I, I, I'm not going to hate on something I don't really understand. Um, but you know, there is a mixture of you know conspiracy theories, especially you know um, pertaining to um, uh, Jewish. Um, Jewish identities and uh, stuff like that, which again I won't get into detail, too deep, but I feel like this is um, a conversation a conversation starter, and um, you know something that's worthy of dialogue because there's a lot of cross wires here, and um, you know people say certain things. And then they pass it off as something different, but that's not how the world works most of the time. Like if you're saying it, if you if you don't want, if you don't mean it like that, then don't say it like that. You know what I mean? That's how I see things, and I think that's just how how to boil it down very simply. Um, but yeah, people love to complicate shit, so um, it is what it is. So I move on quickly to, um, uh, first of two music topics and, um, I haven't even put anything, uh, I haven't given any links to this one, uh, cause I don't really feel like uh, the links that I have found thanks pertains to this doesn't really do it justice. Um, but this is all about, and, and I'll probably keep this very quick because, um, to be honest, I just wanted to talk about it, but not go into detail with it. um, this is about uh, Talib Kweli and uh, his recent um, elongated outbursts on Twitter. Um, so, for those that don't know, um, Talib Kweli, you know, legendary lyricist, rapper, um, and uh, just um, just a a, g- a good mind in many facets. You know, for talking about certain things, um, but in recent in 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 this in this climate he's kind of outed himself and this is my opinion um i think he's outed himself as uh, uneducated in a lot of ways um, even though he references you know books a lot in his raps and um you know i think i think he unofficially holds like a, a record or, or some 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 fashion to like a uh, uh, referencing the most books in his raps in his rhymes um, so he's clearly a well-read person, but there's some topics that he, that, I don't know, he's not the, you know, um, uh, the biggest, uh, knowledge seeker, I guess, in terms of that. So, um, one of them is, um, black women. Um, and this whole thing is, you know, has a black woman in the center of it. Um, so, uh, I forget her name specifically, but um, her at is Money Maya with two wires in the money, and um, she made a there was a there was a tweet talking about uh, rappers and their wives, and uh, Money Maya responded to that tweet um, saying that um, something about like adding, making making a derogatory reference to the fact that, um, saying that like, most black rappers have light-skinned wives, right? And so with that said, and let's put it bluntly, that's not, that's paraphrasing, that's not the exact f- um, uh, comment that she used. I mean, I should say that she said almost all, so that will, that would add to, that adds to the, um, the, that adds to the whole thing. The fact that she said almost all, not all, and didn't, you know, try and uh, corral them into, put them in one box. Um, but regardless of that, there is a hint of colorism to that, right? And we've talked about colorism on the show before, so, um, you know, I'm not going to get into that, but, um, into explaining that, but it is what it is. Um, so yeah, Talib is a renowned Twitter, I don't know, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, but he's consistently on Twitter, <laughs> like consistently, I'm not joking, consistently, on a consistent basis, he is always on Twitter, always responding to people, right? I personally don't know where he finds the time. That's always my major question. Where the fuck does he find the time to do this? Um, does he have his laptop just constantly on tweet deck, just, just watching the stream go by? Um, he regularly um, talks about, uh, re- responds to probably most likely bots, as pertains to like, uh, you know, right wingers um, and, you know, just other stuff that he doesn't agree with, right, and he, he, he loves to argue, and he has the energy, clearly, (sighs) but for the past, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's probably still going on, but, um, it's been at least two weeks now, for the, so for the past two weeks, he has been, you know, for, for better, uh, for the, for lack of a better phrase, harassing, uh, Money Meyer, constantly, um, uh, tagging her in his tweets and um coming com- constantly coming back with um you know um screenshots of past tweets money myra's made and uh yeah so it's it's gone on for 2 weeks i'm not kidding guys like he he he's been doing it for 2 weeks straight and he's still doing it i've just checked where well, he's he's still doing it like he like the the latest tweet was as of as this recording referencing Money Meyer was one hour ago. So yeah, he's still going. It's been it's been over two weeks now. Um, so that's not the whole thing, but that's some of it. And the point I wanted to make with all of this is um, one and the biggest point I wanted to make was that Twitter social media. Is a, is not the greatest place for any of this. It's not the best platform, and for something that's gone on as long as this, um, and you could say that Tyler should have stopped after a few days because it start because in the early days, um, Money May did respond to him and was coming back, you know, with receipts and stuff like that, and they'll you know receipt. Uh, trading with each other, so you know both parties were going at it, right? But then Maya stopped, and that's where um, her name's Maya Angelique, by the way. Just so yeah. Um, so when she stopped, I guess you know in in how I like to see arguments. Like my personal rule is to is um, if I'm in a Twitter argument or in an argument in any social media platform, whatever um if i if i go to sleep regardless if they respond or not um i don't respond the next day i don't i don't add to the fire the next day i don't you know if they respond i don't respond the next day i just don't cuz that's wasted energy right i get caught up in the you can get caught up in the moment sure but once you have a good night's sleep like what's the point you just have a clear and you're just like I'm just not gonna respond to that. That's how I see it. But clearly, Talib is the exact polar opposite, where he just constantly goes at him. Um, so yeah, once Maya, uh, I guess, um, I guess I'm assuming blocked him, and you know, just uh, wanted to step back from the whole argument. It kind of have a li- It has a life of its own now, um, and people have taken camps um, between the two. Um, now, I'm personally, I'm not even on the fence anymore. Um, I'm away from the fence, and I'm just outside of the outside of the arena um, Because it's just this is is probably the first time and the last time I'm going to talk about this on wax and I'll probably just not even uh, Look at Tyler's tweets anymore because it's just it's just What is there to argue about anymore? Um, I don't know what he wants to be honest, um, but yeah, I Don't see the point I don't see the point anymore. Because now it has a life of its own. Um, most likely bots have got into the conversation. Um, and regardless if they have or not. Just people are in the conversation. Just just flinging shit at each other. And I'd like to say. There could have been a great, convers- a great dialogue. A, g- a great dialogue to this. Right? There could have been. But unfortunately there isn't. There could have been a dialogue on colorism there could have been a dialogue on character assassination because there were some people that were um, sharing right-wing news articles, uh, you know, talking about Talib in a negative fashion, um, and some people were calling him a, uh, like, a, pointing at him, saying he's a, either a rapist or, like, a charmless or something like that. Just negative shit, you know, that, the unfounded... Shit, right? Like I said, shit flinging of the highest order. So you know we could have had a great dialogue from this, you know, talking about colorism, talking about um, uh, character assassination, but now it's just sad. It's just um, wh- one of the one of the parties have just tuned out, um, and you know other people are going like, you know, don't worry, sis, we'll we'll take it from here. And it's like that shouldn't be the response. Everyone should just kill this conversation because it's not providing healthy conversation. Now, this is a similar conversation I had with—I um, don't know if it was here on Wax or on Doing Digits, but like talking about um, you know J Cole and No Name. It was on here, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the first episode back. Um, you know that conversation that could have been a great conversation to have. You know, talking about uh, you know J Cole could have phoned up No Name and they could have had a very healthy conversation behind the scenes. And uh, they could have, you know, had a, I don't know, a statement together, or you know, done something, whatever, right? Like something good could have come out of that. And I like to be optimistic in these convers, in these arguments. I have optimism in arguments where um, I believe there can be a great dialogue in any fashion, regardless of who the person, or who the parties are, right? It could be two polar opposite people, but I believe they can still have a good conversation if they allow each other to have that conversation. But this one is just a cesspool. And it's highly unfortunate, and it's shit. Um, so yeah, it's gonna keep going on because um, Tyler doesn't know when to let up. And in that fashion, I'm I feel a bit sad because, you know, in some in a lot of ways, I really admire Talib. Um, but this is just not one. This is not it. It's just not it. Like the girl has given the girl is basically you know for lack of a better phrase given up. And I don't mean that in a you know in a he's right you know sort of way of saying a uh, context but you know she sent a uh, uh like a uh, you know just um like a little statement and uh, you know making her making her final piece on it and it was very eloquent um but he's still going and um it's just it's just bot behavior to be honest by an actual dude just crazy um but uh, yeah i just wanted to mention it um, just to put it on wax. Um, it's an absolute cesspool. It's highly unfortunate that it's come to this. Um, and uh, it's I've lost a little bit, well, I've lost a lot of respect for Tyler above this. And that's highly unfortunate because, um, you know, he's a, he's a smart dude. And he's a well-read dude. Um, and he can be very eloquent. But on Twitter, he's just an absolute demon. And it's just not even, it's, it's ugly, to be completely honest with you. So, um, yeah, I'll leave it there for the moment. So let's move swiftly on to uh, sports, and we head off to the NBA um, to Orlando um, this week. Uh, games are starting uh, finally. NBA games are starting. Uh, well, I think it's just scrimmages. I, I, I forget if it's scrimmages or actual games, but uh, yeah, we're gonna have basketball uh, in the next few days, and um, happy about that. Um, but there is a part of this that uh, has me has me um, just just. Um, uh, just in my head a little bit you know just one of those yeah, yeah, just one of those moments right so uh, this is uh, the nba shaky jersey initiative shows the league's wokeness has its limits uh, limits this is by hunter felt of the guardian and uh, yeah so for background um, and it probably have the background in this but i'll just say it just for kicks um the nba usually have a, has a strict uh, jersey policy you know you have your names your number and nothing else unless he authorize it. Um, but now they're authorizing a set of potential names you can use um, in terms of talking about social justice on the core uh, You know, stuff like Black Lives Matter, um, Justice for This, blah, blah, blah. you know, just generic stuff. But they can't, so some players can't, uh, you know, all the players can't choose exactly what they want to say. So they can't say nothing about the police. Uh, they can't say fuck twelve, you know. What I mean stuff like that. They can't they can't say free Hong Kong because obviously, you know, if you remember the Hong Kong episode uh, a while back, yeah, that was a bit. That really was an unfortunate event. And uh, the NBA is obviously very shaky of that. And this is where the article gets into that uh, kind of thing where you know it's it's wokeness, but it's to a point, and that's not really how. Well, we'll get to my we'll get to my um, thoughts about it later on. But let's get into the article just to, just to. <laughs> just for just for context, stripped of context, huh, stripped, of context. Uh, stripped of context, the idea is a noble one. In reaction to the anti racism protests across the U.S., the NBA will allow players to wear messages on their jerseys in support of social justice when the league returns late this month. However, the league uh, the rollout has not gone smoothly as the league would have hoped. Not all players have been fully satisfied with the limited choices the league has approved, and there is a growing movement to leave the space blank as a silent protest. A gesture that was meant—a uh, gesture that was meant to portray the league in a positive light—instead has become a case study in the limits of corporate virtue signaling. Oh, that's a bar. Uh, the NBA's decision to allow players to choose messages was a bigger concession than it may appear. Leagues typically want to maintain tight control on how their players dress on the field or on court. The NFL in particular is notorious for how quick it is to levy fines for even the tiniest alterations. In allowing its players to use their uniform to comment on such topics such as racism, systemic, uh, systematic inequality and police brutality, the league is taking on a certain amount of risk. The list of 29 phrases allowed includes potentially divisive statements in more conservative states anyway, such as, say their names, and I can't breathe. The NBA didn't do this of its own accord. The decision came after receiving pressure from a group of players headed by Brooklyn Nets' Kyrie Irving, who believed restarting the season could act as a distraction after the Black Lives Matter movement had captured mainstream attention. This may have influenced the Los Angeles Lakers' Avery Bradley decision uh, to stay at home, rather than travel to Walt Disney World with his teammates, although the primary reason he gave was the health of his family. If the NBA expected the jersey idea to completely satisfy players, it received a rude awakening. Most notably, LeBron James, the league's most popular player and his de facto spokesperson, came out to say he was skipping the whole concept, quote, It was no no disrespect to the list that was handed down to all the players, James told reporters. I commend anyone that decides to put something on the back of their jersey. It's just something that didn't seriously resonate with my mission, with my goal, unquote. He pointedly added that that he had several ideas he he would have suggested uh, had he been part of the process, but he wasn't. James was the most high-profile player to opt out but he was far from alone. He wasn't even the only Laker, as his teammate Anthony Davis decided to stick with Davis on the back of his jersey. The Miami Heat's Jimmy Butler began pressuring the league to allow him to wear no name, uh, not, not the rapper, <laughs> just say, uh, no name on the uh, back of his jersey uh, to highlight the fact that he's, quote, no different than anybody else of colour, unquote. Reportedly, as many as 30 other players have allowed uh, followed Butler's lead. The Houston Rockets, uh, and Austin Rivers and Tyson Chandler were denied the ability to wear the name Martin in honor of Trayvon Martin, the young man whose murder at the hands of George Zimmerman provoked a wave of protest back in 2012. Ultimately, it seems like that the significant number of players were disappointed in limited uh, in being limited in what they were allowed to express. Philadelphia 76ers forward Mike Scott perhaps summed it up best: "Quote, they gave us some names and phrases to put on the back of jerseys." that was terrible it was a bad list bad choice they didn't give players a chance to voice their opinion on it they just gave us a list to pick from one of the most overused phrases in the current discourse is virtue signaling a term used to accuse someone of expressing the correct opinion not out of any inner conviction but in order to feel morally superior it's mostly used in conservative circles as a bludgeon against anyone who dares to suggest that people should care about their fellow human beings if there is any value to the phrase, and it's possible that there isn't, it pro- probably should be reserved for brands and corporations who, in the hope of either ca- courting positive media attention or holding off potential controversy, make superficial gestures of sensitivity or solidarity. Businesses, in the end, aren't designed to care about anything other than making a profit, and it's foolish to believe otherwise. On the commission Adam Silver, the NBA has gained a reputation as the most liberal, of the major U.S. sports leagues, but it's a reputation that it it has mostly achieved thanks to comparisons to more conservative leadership at the NFL, NHL, and MLB. As as its disastrous approach to the Hong Kong controversy, there you go, uh, last autumn proved the NBA's front as a progressive organization has firm limits. The fact that players aren't fully embracing the league's jersey initiative should be a sign. Let us not use this as evidence that the NBA as an entity is somehow quote unquote woke, while well, it's important to believe in the sincerity of those who have chosen to express themselves by choosing a particular message, let's not give that same benefit uh, of the of the doubt to any uh, to the org- organizations that employ them. Goods may come out of this particular gimmick, but remains a gimmick nonetheless. So yes, that's the entirety, and um, it, it completely makes sense, right? Because the point of it. Is you know in some ways protest, and there's no point of a protest if there is limits. You know what I mean? Oh, you you can do this, but do it in a certain way. That's not how, that's not how protests work. You know what I mean? It's a, it's the same. You know, in a few you know in the past months when there were some people that rioted. Right now we can get into the whole conversation about who actually did it, and what was influenced, and blah, 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 but. Some people see rioting as a um, as an acceptable method of getting uh, the national attention, which is what a national protest is supposed to do: is to get the national the attention of the national audience, right? So doing this, you know, while it's cool, it's 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 got no teeth to it. You know, what I mean, it it, do, it doesn't have teeth. Um, if they allowed any. Any, uh, anything on the back of jerseys that would have teeth but as we saw with Hong Kong they want to be they want to have limits with it they want to have walls to this you know at the end of the day they are still a business a worldwide business and they need to court many worldwide uh, many other businesses and many other pockets worldwide including China hence the Hong Kong fiasco right so I'm not saying uh, you know there were some NBA players that would have said free Hong Kong we don't know that we will never know that but um to say that and you know having no nothing to say about the police when obviously you know so well I don't know the NBA's relationship with the police but yeah it's just it's not it's not it's not there it's half empty and, and you know, I don't really, I don't really think you can see this as a glass half full moment. It's really half empty. It's like you know, you've done something cool, but it's not the whole shebang. And what's the point if there is no bang? It's a shit. <laughs> it's a shit, not a b- shebang. <laughs> I mean, it's not the whole. It's it's not, You need to have. You need to go fully in it, in order to make a genuine statement and to say that you're 100 behind the players. Then give them, every, then give them the ability to say whatever they want on the back of jerseys. But obviously they can't do that because at the end of the day, this is a business, and you, and some businesses can do that social uh, justice stuff. They can, right? But they they never ever go full hog with it because at the end of the day, first things first. What will happen to my pockets? That's it, <laughs> that is literally it. What's up with my pockets? Are my pockets good if I do this? So we end on music, and uh, this is a nice soft one that I just found, and I thought it was a very good read, and I was like, Gee, yeah, let's give it a read, why not? <laughs> Alright, so uh, this is uh, via Q Point. It's called The Lost Art of Crate Digging. It's by Kathy Ian Uh this, this is dropped in like 2014, like late 2014, September 24th, so 2014. So uh, it's, a, it's a throwback, it's a throwback, but uh, I thought it was just a fun read, and I thought, you know, with all the uh, just, need, just need a little detox, personally, I just need a detox, because I'm talking about uh, anti-semitism and, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, Harassment is a- uh, uh, Twitter harassment is a uh, not my ideal fun episode, so uh, Yeah, so this is in. I don't make beats. I just hoard them for safekeeping. My obsession with collecting records began in my early teens. One day I was down in the basement looking for my cabbage patch kid. I have no idea why. Uh, climbing through boxes labeled Christmas, Easter, I found one of my mother's stacks of old 45 RPM vinyl. Inside were the singles were singles from The Beatles, The Doors, uh, Joni Mitchell, anything and everything I ever knew or was about to discover from artists that lived in an era that I now like to call Kathy Was Born Too Late. Uh, the action though, the climbing, the unearthing, it stuck with me into my 20s as my tastes change. And I became a hip-hop uh, a fan of hip-hop music constructed initially from bits and pieces of old records I became a bona fide crate digger during college I would leave campus on breaks and head downtown head to downtown Bloomfield, New Jersey where I believe the best-kept secrets in vinyl discovery Were really located I headed to record stores like crazy rhythms RIP bookstores with secret sellers Instrument fix-it shops with random record piles and even church swap meets all while uh, all the while doped up on (laughs) carotin and uh, wearing a surgical mask to ward off the effects of my severe dust allergy as one of the few girls who uh, Who has taken part? I would get looks from the guys on their vinyl searches as they observed my selections at a distance But politely gave me my space to work alongside them Crate digging isn't merely record shopping, though. It's the hunt for the DNA of a popular song you're in love with—an addiction to origins. And that addiction lasted a long time too. When I worked on Madonna's *Confessions of a dance uh, confessions on a Dance Floor* album at Warner Brothers Records in two thousand and five, I obsessed over her song *Hung Up*, which I recognized contained a sample of ABBA's *Gimme, Gimme, Gimme*. I miss— mm, hmm—meso method, mesolithemia, Mes- Mesothelioma f- Fuck you know, how do you say that? Hang about let me google that right quick Fuck you know, what a word How do you say that? Pronounce, 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 pronounce <laughs> Mesothelioma Mesothelioma Right Fuck you know, that's a word and a half isn't it? Mesothelioma Mes- yeah, there we go, Mesothelioma. Okay, that's where I got tripped up. Anyway, I risked Mesothelioma in some <laughs> tank basement in Brooklyn to find their single uh, find their single The King Has Lost His Crown because Gimme 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 was on the B side. Uh, keep in mind I didn't own a turntable until five years after I started crate digging because I wanted a collection first. That's not fucking off. So a little <laughs> so I have I have vinyl, but I don't have a vinyl player. I did because uh, my boy my flatmate had one in university, and I just used his. Um, but uh, I quickly realized that I needed one when we were gonna uh, graduate that. So I was like, shit, and then I didn't have the money for it, and now I still don't have a vinyl player yet, but i'm I'm I know, I know what I'm getting, and I know what I want, and I'm gonna get it someday soon, hopefully, hopefully in the next couple of years. But uh, yeah, at the moment, I've kind of just weaned myself from buying vinyl uh, because I don't wanna. You know i don't want to cop something that i can't immediately consume you know what i mean and uh, obviously there's more to vinyl than you know just the visuals and stuff like that and just having a hard copy and supporting your people but um and supporting the artists you love but uh, yeah i'll just i'll get there i'll get there bro i'll get there trust me i'll, I'll buy those i'll buy all those records i have more safe trust me it's all good it's all good i'll get them soon enough just need to just need a record player first anyway uh, I was constantly on the chase to acquire lifting the needle to hear my discoveries was the ancillary was ancillary That's my story and every crate digger has one. So what's the point, right? Well, there is a utility for crate digging the dates back date dates back decades to the earliest days of hip-hop production Because records were the raw materials for hip-hop tracks Your sampling was awesome albeit arduous a producer would find a break beat Which is an instrumental section or drum beat? or a snippet of sound from a record they that they liked Uh, play the vinyl on a turntable and record that piece of music onto a sampler or a sampling enabled drum machine where it could be replayed and laid in conjunction with other sounds in the beat making process. To acquire the vinyl they would hunt. They raided record stores and hit record fairs in the early morning hours to scour through crates and crates of wax. The Roosevelt Hotel record convention on E 49th Street in New York City was a big one. Dealers would uh, gather and legends of hip-hop's golden age would arrive and peel through the layers of vinyl to find what they needed The Roosevelt Hotel quote the Roosevelt Hotel record conventions were legendary producer Diamond D recalls Everyone from myself to Salam Remy to Rashad Smith to Jay Dilla to DJ Premier to Lord Finesse to showbiz to the ba- beatminders to 45 King to Kid Capri to Q-tip all under one roof at 7 a.m Shit was incredible we were on the come up looking for treats. Diamond D still dig, uh, unquote. Diamond still digs to this day and lives up to the acronym for the collective he founded, DITC, or digging in the crates. So, uh, if you and for those that are wondering, that's where I got digging digits from. Just a, just a little, just a little uh, trivia for you. Anyway, <laughs> quote for the lack of a better word. We called it raping the records," uh, says DJ Premier, who made the record, who made records for rap giants like the Toys Big and pop stylists like Christine Aguilera. Uh, there would be certain spots where we would, where we were like, oh, they raped it already." Why didn't you say rinsed? Like you know, they rinsed it, but that's just me. Um, already, uh, meaning there were nothing really good. There was nothing really good to uh, left to look for. As much as we were all friends and we were all connected. We wanted to get uh, to the record conventions early. It was a sport. Unquote. Primo also digs uh, and keeps his samples strictly vinyl. For me, quote, for me, when I dig, I look at the producer, I look at the label, I look at who played the instruments. Unquote. DJ Premier explains, quote, I read all that, all of that stuff. If someone is great, I'll follow everything they do. There is no way they can uh, hit something great one time and not do it again. Unquote. Great, great, great. Quote. That is a great point, like, why would you just, yeah, I feel like, um, I do that a lot, where, you know, where there's one artist, I, you know, I like one song, and don't even bother, <laughs> don't even bother exploring any of their other stuff, there's so many artists I do that with, it's actually stupid, anyway. Uh, variant producers of hip-hop were scientists dissecting tracks, librarians of musical culture, mathematicians of the BPM, and above all, music historians. But the dawn of the new millennium brought a cultural and technological shift. In 1999, Napster arrived, ushering in digital bootlegging and introducing beatmakers to the relative ease of pulling songs off the internet in the form of an mp3 file, dragging and dropping them into sampling sampling computer software. The production technology became more sophisticated. Bedroom producers can now create entire songs from start to finish on a small laptop. Downloadable music meant not having to digitise music from old pieces of vinyl. In addition, the upswing of sample light southern hip-hop eclipsed the sample heavy hip-hop of the east and west coasts. As younger producers entered the game, the ritual of crate digging became archaic. I think a lot of the younger kids that are learning to make beats may not have the same love for samples that somebody from my generation or older has, says J57, producer of Homeboy Sandman and other indie acts. They're probably probably ripping off uh, stuff off YouTube 99% of the time, so they kind of aren't connected to the record, it's not even a real thing, it's not physical. Think about this, when they were little, guys like Lil Wayne were really big at the time, and the majority of what they were doing was sample free. During 2005, I worked with J57 at New York's Fat Beats record store, the kickoff of a five-year-long death watch that ended when the store closed down. Another colleague of ours with audible, was Audible Doctor, who in recent years has produced tracks for 50 Cent and Smoked Uh Quote, Even while I was a fat beast, I could see the climate of, climate kind of changing, said Audible Doctor. I can understand why there's a decline in, cu- in the culture of digging. It's not easy to, especially when there's no real cultural upbringing surrounding vinyl. Younger producers don't understand the importance of how spe- special vinyl is. They never bought it, they were never around it." The new beat-centric producer uh, works differently in in an industry that delivers digital music instantly, rather than taking months to manufacture physical product. He churns out tracks that within minutes of their creation uh, can leak on blogs and over social media. So hanging out for hours in the few remaining dusty record stores doesn't quite fit with the pace of the market and the attention span of the listener. While Digging has reconfigured itself into in a new ritual of scouring websites for MP3s and ripping off mu- ripping music off YouTube, uh, even that process is still very time-consuming. With the points you have to give away on publishing, why sample at all? Says producer VanderSlice. Quote: A lot of the arch- artistry has gone in production today because so many people would rather just get a quick fix and download a program and start making beats today than put anything into it. That's why everything sounds the same, unquote. Fucking preach. Two years ago, I interviewed producer Clams Casino on his beat-making process. I was geeked at the opportunity to sit with him and discuss Imogen Heap and Bjork, two ethereal female artists who specialise in electronically obscure music, sometimes called trip-hop, because a few of Clams's beats leaned on their recordings. Clams Abstract uh, production made l- Rap a Little B more palatable and they sat Rocky and No nov- novo? novo, leader of the designer rap movement. But when I decide- when I tried to chop up with him, I found out I found that clams didn't know much at all about the catalogues of eyes he sampled. Quote, oh nah, I just skim the albums and pull what sounds good, he said. Here I was, picturing clammy clams. Wearing a dust mask in downtown Bloomfield, he's from New Jersey too. Searching for the original release of York's humor behavior because he was obsessed with the drum pattern. My disappointment is my own fault. Why should Clams Casino be some uh, diehard connoisseur of electronic music? I'm 35, he's not. He has whosampled.com, Shazam, and finally YouTube to grab what he needs and run. I had liner notes and a new mark. He's not from an era where you need that kind of knowledge to succeed. It's a sign of the times, it's the death of a ritual. And while vinyl saw a 32% increase in sales last year, well, that's 2013, so a bit of a a dead point to say now, but anyway, that's just what it is, Uh, it doesn't increase any hope that Craig Diggum will become a producer or music aficionado's new form. For the tangible music lover, vinyl has straddled the line between nearly dead and surprisingly still alive for quite some time. The new idea is to say vinyl is an artefact, not for the art that is on it. That's the reason why Urban Outfitters has a whole vinyl section with vinyl picture frames conveniently located next to the end caps. The scariest thought for any current or ty- retired crate digger is imagining a world where the sport no longer exists. Some producers will remain adamant about the practice, and there will always be a basement somewhere filled with a hoarder's secret treasure. That's where you'll find producers who love vinyl for the music woven into it. DJ Premier bought his three-year-old son a turntable and some 45s for his introduction introduction to music. Quote, I was like, let me give him the basics, Primo says, who bought his son a new mark, turntable, and some Stevie Wonder records to start. Uh, that's a glimmer of hope for the next generation of music lovers. While Crate Digging feels more like an analog detachment from the digital world, what's wrong with taking a step back? Even before they can read, toddlers m- can manipulate vinyl and remember songs by a label, uh, label color, a pleasurable tactile experience that can be a gateway To more music appreciation. I know I'll be saving some dust masks masks for my future children, just in case. Alright, and that's the entire article. And um, yeah, man, I'm just... It it, it kind of... While I'm not a crate digger by any means, um, I don't really have the time or the chops for that kind of thing. um, I do... I have had that feeling of... um, and and this was actually completely by accident the story i'm going to tell but um i i feel like that's the it's the is similar to what crate diggers get that that high of you know finding a breakbeat and just you know seeing something out of it i i kind of found it in a more in the reverse kind of way where so i listened to um a uh, a track called uh, LA Dreamin uh, by Terrace Martin and um I really loved I really love the track. I still have it in my regular rotation, um, and there's a great uh, saxophone, just like a three-second saxophone um, uh, bit on there, right? So, and that's not the main reason I like it. I just I like the whole song, but that is a you know good part of the song. So, this is great. Um, so, at one point, when was I uh, This was in first year. Of university, like the end of first year, some, some around there. So around, around, I don't know, around March April doesn't mean really March. First, first year really. And um, I was listening to Quincy Jones um, for the first time, like properly. Um, obviously, you know, obviously we've heard like you know Quincy Jones produce works, you know Michael Jackson's, etc. Um, but I never got into Quincy Jones's actual work with his name on it. So I was listening to the dude. And um, I've probably told us on WAX before, to be honest, but I've fuck it, don't do again. Um, so I was listening to the dude, and uh, there's a track on there called "Something Special." Uh, it has a great vocalist called Patty Austin. She's fucking amazing on it. And um, it came to my surprise uh, that there was a saxophone solo um, in the in the final third, and. Um, that that same it was there, and I was like, "Shit, that's the exact!" Oh my gosh, I didn't even know that. So, it, I I was so gassed, and I'm still gassed about it to this day. You know what? I think it was third year university. Now no, I'm thinking about it. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, I was just I just got so gassed about it. I got so fucking gas and I was like oh that's so nice that's it's such a good feeling it's such a good feeling when you find a sample that you didn't even especially for me when I didn't even mean to do it I didn't even mean to find it you know I wasn't you know, on search of it I didn't even look on who sampled on the, to even find out who if that even if that saxophone was even sampled I just thought because Terrace Martin's a saxophone and stuff or he did it um but you know it was just great. It was an amazing feeling, and uh, you know there are a lot of people out there that that uh, you know sample hunt, and obviously don't use who sampled um in that fashion. Uh, there are there is a community of people. I know a couple of people that do that, and uh, it's it's super fascinating. Uh, you know just watching them do it, um in their communities. But you know the concept of crate digging is a very rewarding process, um, especially music wise because. I, I will say, I, I will forever say this, like, a sampled, uh, a sampled hip-hop track, there is nothing better, because, um, especially an obscure one, um, when you hear a record and, you know, you see a, a song that nobody else knows brought back to life in some way, you know, uh, when Common did The Light and sampled uh, Bobby Caldwell, um, the sales of Bobby Caldwell shot up because of it. And um, that song's iconic the light it's it's an iconic track um it's one of my favorite tracks of all times, it's beautiful and uh you know, while I don't mind some of the music that's coming out you know today um there are so, there are more there is more music using live instrumentation, which um, in in some ways I really enjoy um this is obviously sticking to hip hop um but you know there's also that middle ground of just like someone, you just hear the beat and it just sounds like it came from a splice and it's just like, it's ah, cool, but, you know, it's not memorable. You know what I mean? Like, I can, you know, describe, describe beat A and then, descri- which is, you know, some beat-off splice and then describe beat B, which is something from, like, I don't know, Commons Delight, right? For example, right? Try and ex- explain both. It's harder to explain... Track A because it's just a beat. It's just a generic trap hip hop beat, and, you know. While it slaps, that's all. That's all you can say about it. it slaps, but with the light, you can say, you know, uh, just, it just has the it has the sample of what it called well, and you know, it just uh, it uses the entire chorus and you know the concept of the light, and you know, then going into what Carmen's talking about. He's obviously talking, writing a, you know, talking to a woman, via a letter, and it's just. There's so much to it, and it adds so much more depth to it, and yeah, like I said, there's nothing better than a sampled hip-hop track. Like, if you just find... Just 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 hearing some of those artists, and you hear the love put into it, it's just so rewarding as a listener. So rewarding, and it just makes it more... It just makes it more memorable in the long run. It really, truly does. Um, and with that said, leaving it on a happy, happy note for once. Uh, from the Fifth and Podcast Network, I would try to this be more good. The intro music has been too much by Vanilla. Interlude music has been fisted by Poldor, you can find both of their uh, bandcamp links in the full show notes, shout out to your records for your ability to use these songs. You can also find their entire discography by the bandcamp link in the full show notes. Lou, go click that. And with that said, hope you all have a good week. I shall sure try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.